Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm David Partain, and I'm joined with my incredibly smart co-host, Laura Gregg. Hello, Laura. Well, hello, David. You don't really sound like yourself today. You sound like a radio star. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. I told you she's incredibly smart. (laughs) On the Flexible Advisor, we seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actual ideas for advisors that want to fine-tune or grow their businesses while deepening client relationships. Today, we'll be talking about the old bugaboo, mental health. Since the start of COVID, the number of people dealing with mental health issues, such as anxiety and depression, they have skyrocketed. And the actions that people take or don't take during these struggles can have a profound and often negative impact on not only their well-being, but also their financial plan and their financial future. So we thought we would invite back Dr. Chloe Carmichael. She joined us in March on the Flexible Advisor to talk about FlexShare's advisor wellness study and the steps that financial advisors can take to more effectively manage their own stress and anxiety. Dr. Chloe is a clinical psychologist whose private practice in New York City focuses on stress management, relationship issues, self-esteem, and coaching. She is also the author of a recently published book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. Dr. Chloe is a consultant at Baker McKinsey, the third largest law firm in the world. She is an advisory board member appearing for Women's Health Magazine, which is a Hearst publication, and she has been a featured expert for psychology today. She has been featured as an expert on VH1, Inside Edition, ABC Nightline, and other television shows and has been quoted in the New York Times, Forbes, Vanity Fair, Shape, Cosmopolitan, Rolling Stone, and other print media. She is one busy person. Today, Dr. Chloe will be joining us to talk about recognizing the signs of mental health issues in your clients. She'll share her thoughts on the actions that advisors can and should take when they see their clients struggling. We'll also ask her to comment on ways that we can all identify signs of anxiety and depressive symptoms in ourselves and in fact, what we can do to address such issues. So our goal with this conversation is to leave you with actionable ideas to assist you in helping your clients and to also help you focus on your own wellness so that you can better serve your clients and enjoy your life and business. Dr. Chloe, thanks for coming back on and welcome back to the Flexible Advisor and congratulations on the book. David, thank you so much for that very warm welcome. I really appreciate that. It's great to be back with you and with Laura. I did enjoy our last conversation as well. So it's great to be back with you again. So Dr. Chloe, we're really excited uh, to have you back uh, and and to share such timely uh, insights today. You know, this pandemic uh, continues to linger, and so do the side effects. And you know, one of them, of course, is increased mental illness. I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, about what you've been seeing in your own practice, and with organizations that you support. Have have you seen an uptick? And if so, 
Is it primarily related to COVID or are people more verbal about mental illness these days? Okay, Laura, that's such a great multi-layered question. I will, I'll try to dig in and, and address that. So, I mean, as for the types of, you know, mental illness that I think has surged, at least in reporting during the time of COVID, it's true. Um, and I, I think that that's because it was a huge stress on all of us, right? I mean, there was a lot of fear at the beginning. We were afraid we couldn't get you know, things in grocery stores, actually now with the supply chain issues, I know some of those fears are coming up again, you know, but at the beginning, again, there were fears about, you know, not having a vaccine and different kinds of fears. Whereas now what I'm seeing more of as we're in the return to work phase, you know, we're, you know, 18, almost 20 months later now. And what I'm seeing more of at this point is social anxiety, some, around returning to group settings, because many people have just been in isolation for so long that re-entering the world, they almost feel like they lost their social skills a little bit. Also, the time of reconnection is also one that is kind of socially fraught because people might have disagreements about a vaccine or they might have you know, fears about being close, or some people might be too unboundaried about, you know, being close. And so I think we're in a different space right now, as far as the mental health concerns, but I do agree that the pandemic itself put a huge stress on people, which of course can overwhelm our normal coping strategies. And that's when we would see a rise in cases of mental illness. So we've already started to dig deeply. So before we get too deep, if you would tell us about the differences between stress, anxiety, and depression, as those words are often thrown around by people who are not mental health professionals. And are these progressive steps? And does stress lead to anxiety? And does anxiety lead to depression? David, that is the perfect segue because even just as I was saying, you know, that we've seen this increase in quote mental illness, I wanted to also say that all anxiety is not mental illness. You know, there's, as my book is about nervous energy, harness, the power of your anxiety. There's actually many cases where, um, anxiety is normal. It's actually an appropriate response to a stressful situation. And, um, there's, there's nothing wrong with it. We just need to learn how to manage it. So I just do think it's important to note that while we don't want to stigmatize mental illness, of course, we also want to know that not every person who's feeling anxious or even feeling depressed, you know, necessarily has quote, like a mental illness. Um, so I'm so glad that you asked that question. And I know the second part of your question, I think was about, distinguishing between, um, stress, anxiety, and depression. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So stress is actually, it's a normal thing and a healthy thing. And let me just, you know, for example, who here hasn't actually committed to get out of their comfort zone more often, right? Like we make that a goal. And what that does is of course, is it stresses us. That's what happens a little bit. Uh, Like those of us uh, who like to go to the gym and lift heavy weights know that you don't build muscles unless you get your muscles to the point where they're shaking and fatiguing. And that is when you have reached your maximum strength and you're building new muscles. So I just want to also say that stress is not always a bad thing. It's important to remember that because we don't want to get stressed about stress. 
Similarly, um, anxiety is not always a bad thing either. Anxiety actually has a very healthy function, which is to stimulate preparation behaviors. A person without any anxiety wouldn't look both ways before they cross the street. People run into problems with it when they feel like they don't have the tools to, to prepare. So if anxiety's healthy function, again, is to stimulate healthy preparation behaviors, but we're faced with a situation that we feel like we don't know how to prepare for it, that's when the anxiety can start to get out of control. Or if we feel like we can't name the issue and kind of acknowledge that there is a situation that we don't quite know how to prepare for and then go get some help and figure it out and get some support. If we feel like we have to pretend like we always know what to do, um, then we can't resolve the anxiety. Um, now, depression is it's, I, I would, um, in just colloquial, you know, off the cuff, I would almost call it a cousin of anxiety, right? You know, they're in some ways they're two sides of the same coin almost. So anxiety is kind of this excess of this energy that we don't know what to do with sometimes in its unhealthy form. When we've got racing, you know, thoughts and sweaty palms and, you know, um, we're, we're just, we're under all this anxiety and we've got this surge of energy, but we don't know what to do with it. And it's like, we're chasing our own tail with it. Depression. One of the symptoms of it is actually lethargy, a lack of energy. And it is interestingly enough, also a sense of helplessness or hopelessness, which does relate, as I said, on some level with anxiety, um, if we're, you know, feeling like it's supposed to be stimulating us to take preparation behaviors, but we don't know what to do. If that kind of goes into a very deep and profound sense, it can turn into a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. Um, uh, one of the other symptoms of depression is also negative, uh, thoughts about self world and others psychologists call it the negative cognitive triad, and it can be so demotivating like, oh, the world is an awful place. I'm never going to make it anyway. Why should I bother even hitting up for some new clients? Whereas on the other hand, if you're anxious, you're at least seeing that as a possibility. Like, how am I going to do it? Oh my gosh, I have to call 20 people. How am I going to do it? What if I fail? What if I do this? But if you're still in the active space and you're kind of still going about it, that's why my book is, you know, again, I hate, oh, by the way, I do want to offer my giveaway on it for nervous energy, harness the power of your anxiety. I'm going to be sharing a lot of tips and perspectives from that center of that book. So if you like what you hear, I'm giving away a copy of the book um, and you can on social media, which I love. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere. So whatever you like, just use the hashtag even Pinterest, <laughs> use the hashtag nervous energy. And then I'm going to be going through this. I think this episode is airing in early December. So, you know, say by, by the end of the year, the end of 2021, I will go through those hashtags and I will choose a winner and you can choose between hardcover ebook or audiobook. Thank you so much. And we will be uh, promoting this episode as we always do on the FlexShares uh, LinkedIn account. So um, you can find us there. LinkedIn too. I love LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> I consider that social media, like business social. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so I feel like with all you just uh, gave us, we could probably talk for two hours, but we don't have that time. But I would, if you don't mind, I, I would love to go back to what you mentioned early on about social anxiety, you're seeing more of that now. And I'm, I'm 
I'm hoping that you could give us some ideas for um, advisors who who may, you know, not be excited to jump back into in-person events or or for their clients who the advisors would really like to see in person and would like to have them come to the annual Christmas or holiday party that might've gotten canceled last year. What, any ideas for helping move people along in that? Thank you, Laura. Yes, I love I love ideas to help people move along. That to me, again, is what happens when we channel that anxiety into a healthy preparation behavior. So a a few ideas I have, you know, if you're going to a networking event and your social networking skills are a little rusty, one thing that is simple sometimes is to just give yourself a five person goal to just say, I'm going to go to this event. And when I've, you know, swapped business cards with at least five people, you know, then I can go home. Another thing that can be helpful to just make it easier for yourself is to memorize five good small talk topics before you get there. Because one of the big things around social anxiety is oftentimes that they just have trouble getting started, but then once they're involved with somebody, things flow much better. So if, you know, five good topics can include anything from if the space itself is going to be a special or unique space, that can be one of your topics to ask people like, oh, have you been here before? Or it's such a beautiful space. Number two can be, you know, the the place that's putting on the event, because that's going to be another common point of connection. And for the other three, you know, you can think about seasonal stuff. If there's, you know, every, you know, depending on personal stuff, if there's any kind of highlight from your personal life, son is graduating college, whatever that you just kind of want to have as your small talk or, you know, can be art. It can be anything weather coming up, but have five small talk topics memorized that, you know, that you can pivot to. Um, and then one final uh, thought, Laura, cause you also mentioned about advisors who are trying to get people to come to their own events and, you know, how to manage that with different people's differing feelings. And one thing I've found is that giving people choices helps a lot um, when people feel in control, which makes sense, right? We want to feel in control when we're, especially if there's, you know, just concerns um, about money or health, any of those things can kind of make people feel like they really want to get it right. So one thing that advisors can do is when they're making those invitations, they can say something on it, like, I'm really looking forward, you know, to this group setting, you know, interacting together as a group, but if for any reason, you know, you would like to come a little earlier that day, but you know, the group setting isn't for you, or if the time just doesn't work with your schedule, I'm going to be in the office or, you know, at that location, you know, all afternoon or whatever leading up to the event. And if you would like to just book a quiet 30 minute, you know, holiday chat with me, like, please know, I would love to, I'll have cocoa brewing all day or hot toddies all day, like whatever makes sense in your office. I love that. Um, Thank you so much. Um, I think, uh, you know, I know I, for one, am a pretty social person, but I find myself even, you know, kind of uh, reticent about some things and, and I don't know why, but so I appreciate those ideas. Sure. I would just say that the, what I mentioned about the choice there, I think is helpful because I, I wouldn't surprise me if there were some people that if they weren't given that choice, their mind would just go to like, oh, I'm not sure I feel comfortable in that group. But if they're given the choice, then they'll think about it and they'll be like, 
know what? I think it'll be fine. I'll go. They just want to feel like they made the choice, which is actually a good thing. You know, I think for those of us who work with financial planning clients, like these are somewhat sophisticated people, you know, that, that want to feel like they have a sense of agency, which is a good thing. So we want to give them that tone of feeling in charge. I love that. I love that. Oh, wait, Laura, Laura, also as somebody who's a negative first response, I truly appreciate Dr. Chloe bringing that up because I want to think about it first. So that's good. I didn't know that about you, David, mm, a negative yes. first response. <laughs> um, so we all, we, we continue to learn about each other as we do these episodes. <laughs> you know, so Dr. Clay, when you were with us in March, I think it was episode 47, if anybody wants to uh, listen to our first conversation with you, we were talking about FlexShare's advisor wellness survey. And and one of the findings in that survey was that women, and, th- and this has actually been true, we've done three of those uh, surveys and in 2017, 18, and then uh, 2020. And in each of those cases, the female advisors talked more about experiencing stress. But in 2020, during COVID, when we fielded that survey, it was much more, uh, many more women talked about stress more so than their male counterparts. In fact, uh, the stress reported by male advisors actually went down during COVID. So I'm going to do a little projection here, but I'm really assuming that it was not just the female advisors that were stressed out uh, because of the pandemic, but it was probably most women. And, you know, is, is that a fair assumption? Well, um, yeah, I, it sounds like there were, as you said, some interesting sex differences. And as a psychologist, whenever we look at studies or surveys, you know, that's always an interesting situation. I know we talked about how women in some ways were often more under, under more stress because they were not only doing their jobs, but they were confined to their home and without, you know, domestic support and women often, are the ones who take on both roles. Um, and so just, you know, not always, but often. So on a certain level, it wouldn't surprise me if women did have, you know, more stress. Um, but I, I think we also talked at the time, some interesting ideas about the fact that if women were reporting it and talking about it, that's actually a sign of health. You know, we don't solve problems that we can't, you know, name and ask for help. Like as financial advisors, I'm sure you all know that, that it's usually the people who are feeling like they need to talk to someone and make a plan that, you know, oftentimes actually have the best financial health. It's people who can't even bear to look at their credit card statements, you know, that are in the, in the most trouble. So there's a lot to read in, I think there, Laura, and I think it's a very meaty, meaty conversation. So in that vein, we have the term recession and during the pandemic there, the term she session was coined And because women, much more so than men during this time, have lost their jobs. And also women in greater numbers than men have chosen to leave the workforce so that they could more effectively handle all those caregiving responsibilities that you mentioned. I'm curious about those women that had the resources to opt out of the workforce. Do you see any signs that they are faring better from a mental health standpoint than the women that stayed in the workforce? You know, that's an interesting uh, question, David. I, I, I'm not sure I would say I've seen that trend in particular, but I do think that the pandemic 
really, to me, the, the trend was more about, and, and the way it would relate to mental health would be more about a person's ability to, to name what their stressors are and to make choices that would um, get them support with those stressors. So a woman, I don't think it's necessarily that she opted out of the workforce that may have created a boost in her mental wellness. It may be that women who felt the need to leave the workforce and who felt empowered to do so, uh, it's the fact that they're in touch again with their anxiety and they're harnessing its power to um, stimulate them to, to do the thing that they need to do. There were other women, I think, who actually needed almost more than anything, their job, not only for income, perhaps, but also even for social support, you know, for all of us being so confined, you know, your, your work buddies, like, I know we all got zoom fatigue to a certain degree, but I think, you know, for many women, the chance to have any kind of community was also actually very important to their mental health. So for many women, I think those challenging demands of the care caregiving at home, maybe it was hard, but, but they, they felt like I'm not giving up my job. I, I need it, you know? So I think it's less for me, I would say about one option being more associated with mental health. It's the fact of knowing what you need and taking action on it that I think is associated with good mental health. So I, I'd love to kind of shift the conversation to men a little bit, and, and then we'll get off this gender thing, I promise. But, <laughs> you know, last time, you know, as you mentioned, you talked about, you know, being able to name how you're feeling is a, an important and positive indicator of uh, mental uh, health. And I think you always said, you, you also said that sometimes men are reticent to talk about how they're feeling or, or name what they're feeling. And, you know, one of the, the, strange, but I think it's good. Um, things that I've seen just in my personal and social bubble during this pandemic is that I've seen people close to me and men in particular um, telling me that they just don't feel right, that they have some sort of mental health issue. They're seeking help for it. They're thinking about seeking help for it. And, and you know, quite frankly, these, uh, these men are, are those who I never ever would have believed uh, would feel comfortable naming that they're they're struggling, but they're doing it. And so while I'm surprised by it, I feel like it's it's a sign that maybe the stigma of mental illness might be going away or at least starting to go away. I'm wonder, wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, that's so interesting, Laura. You know, for me, my practice is um, somewhat unique in the fact that it's like 50-50 men and women and it's especially unique because I don't treat substance abuse and, you know, men are, as you said, they're less likely to usually to come out and say, I'm not feeling right. Um, but, but they are more likely to say, demonstrate a substance abuse problem. So the fact that I don't treat substance abuse and my office has a 50, 50 split, um, is pretty unique. Um, so I, I have, I've, I've talked to a lot of men lately, so I'm, I'm really glad that you asked the question. I think that one thing that's been hard for men also is that their, their coping strategies were, were really stripped, you know, I mean, we all like to go to the gym, obviously, but I, I think when we think of some of the typical guy things like of going to the gym or, you know, going to a pub that was hard for them. Also men don't tend to be, by the way, I love going to pubs and bars myself. I just not just men. Um, but I'm just kind of saying stereotypically, 
that men also, for example, don't tend to be as much social organizers and community organizers. And, um, the, the kind of few threads that they had, you know, of like a certain men's group that met, you know, after church or whatever, when those were taken away and maybe are slower to get restarted after the pandemic, because again, men don't tend to just be like, like, Hey boys, time to start up our meetings again, you know? So it's, it's just not as much of their natural space. So I, I think, you know, it is true that, that men have also had their challenges and, coming out of the closet, so to speak a bit with those. Um, one other thing I think that's helped them to do that, um, is, is the rise of video therapy through the pandemic. As you, you know, kind of were alluding to Laura, sometimes men feel as if there's something weak about saying, I don't feel right. And I want to talk to somebody. And so being able to just suddenly do that a few clicks away in their own home, maybe made it easier for them to make that leap mentally. Okay, so if if we think about the stigma often associated with talking about mental health issues, how do we support someone who has told us they are struggling? Because I know that personally, and I don't think I'm alone, as you just mentioned, I, I and others are nervous and that we might say something wrong, especially as a manager in response to a person sharing their struggles with me. Are there a few tips you might give those of us that might be caught off guard when someone tells us they have a mental health issue? Yeah. So I, I think it's important to really zoom in on the wording, right? Um, so somebody who's saying that they have a mental health issue to me, that's, that's, and I don't, I, I don't mean to kind of keep falling back on psychology, but I am a clinical psychologist, right? So that's kind of my, my thing here is that I would think about, are they sharing that they have a mental health issue? Meaning like, um, they're, they're having a mental illness issue. If that's what, you know, that's almost alluding to, or are they just having a healthy awareness and expression you know, of the fact that they've been a little lonely or that they're nervous about going back or that they feel like they had a freak out before they were going to go into a big meeting and they don't know why they did that. Um, you know, or like, are they saying, um, you know, certainly obviously anyone who's saying that they're having thoughts of harm to self or others, you know, I, I would, I would obviously, you know, call 911 or, um, if somebody's saying, you know, I I'm sometimes so depressed that I, I literally just can't get out of bed. I was in bed, you know, for, for a couple of days last week, I would just personally want to say like, wow, that sounds debilitating. Um, are you, are you seeing someone for that? Are you getting help with that? And I would just keep reflecting that back to them because there are certain problems that we cannot solve. Even me as a psychologist, if I were just in my personal life, so to, or my professional, like managing somebody, I would never try to, you know, be psychologist with that person. So if someone's bringing up through like mental health issues that really make you feel like this person is, um, really should be seeing somebody again, I would think about self, you know, thoughts of harm to self or others or lack of ability to go to live their life. You know, like I, I couldn't show up to work because I just got to the door, tried to go in and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And I turned back around and went home. I don't have any plans to try again. Cause that was just too much. And you know what I mean? Like somebody who's mm -hmm. not able to manage their life, I would just keep bouncing the ball back to are you seeing someone? I, I wish I could help, but that feels like more than what I know how to help with. I would just, you know, really want you to get support. Um, on the other hand, if someone's just saying, 
you know, I, I feel really anxious about, you know, going places. It's been a little weird. One thing that you could do is normalize it, you know, to a certain degree in a way, it's a healthy, normal thing. If you haven't been going out and suddenly you are, and like we discussed, there can be all these, um, you know, social tensions around the way that we go out now and, um, it can be difficult. So I, you know, you can normalize it. You can also ask like, would it help to buddy up? Like, would you like to do it together? Because one of our most normally, one of our strongest coping mechanisms is social support. As a psychologist, when I'm assessing somebody, social support is actually an access, you know, that we're supposed to like look at and assess. We cannot ignore it about, about men's a person's um, setup because it's so important. So, you know, offering, well, would you like me to go with you? Would you like to plan an event together? You know what? Maybe, maybe you just need to be around some people more often, you know, like let's get together, you know, just putting the invitation out there can be helpful. Also, you know, if you're really at a loss, you can always just ask the person, I'm sorry to hear you going through this. Is there anything that I can do to support you? I think especially, you know, David, you mentioned in a professional setting, if you're the Mm -hmm. person's manager, there can be boundaries issues. So always just, it's safe to ask somebody, is there a way that I can help with that? So Dr. Chloe, those those are such great ideas. And, you know, in, in our business, um, we refer out a lot or advisors refer out a lot to, to trust attorneys, tax accounts and, and whatnot. What about the idea, you know, one of the things that you said is for an advisor to say, you know, are you getting help? This feels like something that I'm probably not equipped to help you with. What about mentioning um, mental health professionals in the area that their clients may want to reach out to? Do you think that's a good idea? Yeah, definitely. I I think it's a really good idea because as we know, you know, financial stress can sometimes cause people even to act out in certain ways, or sometimes people are even coming to see a financial advisor because, you know, maybe they're not even quote mentally ill, but maybe they're in bereavement or there's just other reasons why having a good therapist in your Rolodex could help you as a financial advisor. I would just also, you know, point out that sometimes it can even be a two-way referral street as well, because many therapists, you know, might, we, we wouldn't, you know, we, we have a whole other ethical background uh, issues about the way that we make referrals. We, we do sometimes, you know, share contact information of financial advisors. So it can be a good two-way street. So you would want to think about somebody that you feel would be a very good reflection on you. Um, I do have an article that I wrote for us news and world report on the subject of how to choose a therapist. Also in my book, nervous energy, harness the power of your anxiety. There's a whole chapter on how high functioning people can choose a therapist. And I realize here, we're not talking about a financial advisor choosing a therapist for himself or herself, but I would still think that for them to think about that, how to kind of vet these therapists and get a good couple of people that they feel will reflect well on them might be a good idea. And then, um, I would then approach those therapists and I'll just, you know, share with you, this has been done with me before. And I, you know, I think it's, it's been, it's been a very well-received and fine thing to do to just approach the therapist and say, you know, hi, I'm a, I'm a financial advisor in your area. I occasionally may need to refer somebody to a therapist. Um, would it, would you be up to, you know, meet for lunch, a drink, or just meet on zoom for 15 minutes? Because I 
wanted to meet with you and tell you a little bit about my practice and, you know, meet you first, because I would feel more comfortable that way before I made a referral. And, you know, again, if I were you as a financial advisor, I would probably do that or, you know, just fully disclose to the person, to your client as you make the referral. I've never met this person. I personally think though, that as you mentioned, your COI, your circle of influence, um, I would actually think of it as an, as a nice opportunity to really enhance your network by choosing two or three people that are going to be good people anyway, for you to have in your circles. Think about if you would want those people to show up, for example, at your holiday, at your holiday business party, um, you would want somebody that you would feel really comfortable with. And I will say it can be hard to find a therapist sometimes that really meets that for, for the business crowd. Um, so that's why, again, I, I do have a section on it in my book and a free article for U.S. News and World, U.S. News and World Report about how to choose a therapist. I would think about that pretty carefully before I would start making the referrals. So Dr. Chloe, this has been a great conversation about the tremendously important topic of mental health. And I'm hoping we can end our discussion, although you have interspersed it and I am sure it is, this has been a, a journey for you in creating the book. So I would love to close with um, talking about nervous energy, harness the power of your anxiety, your new book. And I'm curious how you define nervous energy and then just uh, give us a couple brief tips that readers might find in the pages of your book. Sure. Um, so I think of nervous energy as that excess of energy. It's nervous energy harness the power of your anxiety. So back earlier in this conversation, when we were talking about depression versus anxiety, and I was saying anxiety can be that almost like zing of energy that can actually be a gift from mother nature. If we just know how to harness it productively, like, you know, if you're feeling anxious that you don't have enough clients in your portfolio, what steps could you take? What are the healthy preparation behaviors that that anxiety is trying to stimulate? And so my book nervous energy goes through nine techniques that have been most popular at my practice, as well as I've used them a lot with myself. And so I share, um, you know, those stories. And if people do want to use the hashtag nervous energy, they can do that. And by the end of this calendar year, 2021, I'll be, um, looking at those hashtags. I want them to mention your show as well. Cause there's people who just use the hashtag and it doesn't have to do with the show. So please, <laughs> please mention the flexible advisor podcast Thank with you. the hashtag nervous energy so that I'll be choosing a winner who can have either hardcover ebook or audiobook. because I, as a psychologist, I feel it's really important to be able to listen to the things sometimes that we're trying to internalize. Uh, I know that's true for me. Well, Dr. Chloe, it is always a real delight to have you on the podcast. Thank you. And we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thanks. It's always great to be with you both, David and Laura. Thank you. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Chloe's book, go to www.drchloe.com slash book. That's www.drchloe.com slash book. You'll have access to her great blog posts and viewing her videos. We have also included this link in our show notes. And if you'd like to hear about what Dr. Chloe said about the FlexShares Advisor Wellness Study back in March, simply go to episode 47 of the Flexible Advisor Podcast. And don't forget, hashtag nervous energy to get your free book at the end of the year. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other FlexShares podcast called Funds in Focus. Check it out today and you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of 
the Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to the Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.